0: Twelve Chapter One of Round the Block by John Belton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Twelve, Speculations, Pecuniary and Matrimonial, Chapter One, The Cosmopolitan Window Fastener. The Cosmopolitan Window Fastener was a veritable success. For the first time in his life, Mister Wesley Tiffles' theories had been demonstrated by results had the cosmopolitan window-fastener been his own invention and disposed of for his own behoof he would have abandoned it long before its merits had been fairly tested and tried some other of the myriad schemes that floated through his brain but the profits of the cosmopolitan window-fastener went to another and this was the secret of wesley tiffle's persistent and therefore successful exertions This was his plan of operations. In the first place, from the funds supplied by Marcus Wilkeson, he procured a patent for the invention. In the second place, he put an advertisement a column long in every daily paper, six insertions paid in advance, and handed a highly polished brass model of the invention to the editor with a request to notice if perfectly agreeable the just and logical result followed instead of the ten-line paragraph with which patent churns and washing machines are ordinarily turned loose on society the cosmopolitan window fastener received notices so long and ornate that it was quite impossible to derive from them a correct idea of the matchless simplicity of the invention having thus roused public curiosity Tiffles, in the third place, took an office on Broadway, and put up a large sign inscribed in gilt capitals, the Cosmopolitan Window Fastener Manufacturing Company. From this pou Stow, Archimedes-like, he commenced to move the world of house-owners. This he accomplished by the following maneuver. He caused double-leaded advertisements under the head of special notices to be inserted in all the papers, informing the public that it would be utterly impossible to supply the demand for the Cosmopolitan window fastener, and that therefore it would be useless to send in orders. The company were employing all the resources of two large manufacturing establishments, but it was evident that these would fail to meet the extraordinary and totally unexpected demand for this indispensable protection against burglars, this moral safeguard, as it might not inappropriately be called, of civilized homes. The company had made every effort, but without success, to secure a force of skilled workmen equal to the emergency justice to their customers in all parts of the country compelled the company to announce that no orders received after that date could be filled under two months under these remarkable they might say in some respects disagreeable circumstances they begged leave to throw themselves on the indulgence of a generous public these notices were put forth not only in the form of newspaper advertisements but as placards and handbills which were stuck all over the city and thrown into all the stages falling like autumn leaves into the laps of passengers this was the cooperative work of the boy bog who though adopted by old van quintem as his son and heir had not yet given up the bill-sticking business, but, on the contrary, had increased it, and now had a practical monopoly of it in the city, with branches in the suburbs. Bog would not eat the bread of idleness, and so he had modestly told Mr. Van Quintem, and that fine old gentleman had patted him on the back, and told him that there was genuine Dutch blood in him, bogart and Company now employed a hundred lads and bog's department of labor was the general planning of operations and the receiving and disbursement of the money and a very nice and agreeable department it was it enabled bog to dress neatly and keep his hands clean two points upon which he was now extremely fastidious bog was growing tall manly and handsome he was also showing a great improvement in his grammar and pronunciation the fruit of diligent attendance at the evening school the public being thus continually informed that orders for the cosmopolitan window fastener could not possibly be filled under two months very naturally began to send in orders for the invaluable invention To be filled after that period. Every mail brought hundreds of them from all parts of the country. The company, that is, Wesley Tiffles, sat at their desk in the Broadway office from nine to three o'clock, exhibiting the window-fastener to hundreds of visitors, and receiving orders rather as a matter of favor to the customer than to the company. At the end of a month when orders to the amount of nearly seventy-five thousand dollars had been received, every northern and western state being extensively represented on the books, the company issued another advertisement, to the effect that, owing to the overwhelming pressure of business, they were willing to dispose of patent rights for two of the states. There was a rush of applicants, to all of whom the company could truthfully exhibit large and genuine orders from all the states. The rights for two states were readily sold, and the company then found that they could spare one more for a fair compensation, and so on until every state in the Union had been disposed of, and the company had not an inch of United States territory left. Not only this, but liberal purchasers were found for cuba canada south america england france germany russia and all the countries of the continent in three months the company had disposed of their entire interest and realized about one hundred thousand dollars cash this sum tiffles had faithfully paid over as fast as received to fayette overtop who not only represented Marcus Wilkeson, unknown to Pet, but was Pet's own attorney and agent. By Fayette Overtop, it was placed in bank, credited to Miss Patty Minford, and subject to her order alone. Thus it happened that the poor inventor had not toiled in vain for the child that he loved. Tiffles with that strange unselfishness sometimes found in men of his class had not thought of or desired any compensation for his services other than the payment of all the bills incurred in the operation the pleasure which he took in manipulating the public and seeing his labors crowned with success was the only reward that he wished for marcus wilkeson however as soon as he saw that tiffles was actually about to perform the amazing feat of raising money determined as an act of common justice to insist upon his receiving twenty per cent of the total tiffles flatly refused at first saying which was true that he could work a great deal better if he had no personal interest in the scheme but yielded at length to the earnest solicitations of Marcus, backed by the emphatic declaration of Miss Minford, through her attorney, that she would not touch a penny of the money unless he consented. So when the affairs of the company were wound up, Tiffles found himself the possessor of $20,000, a sum whose existence in a concrete form he had always secretly disbelieved. And Tiffle's first act was to settle up all his outstanding debts. The unexpected acquisition of this immense sum imparted a charm to every object in life except Miss Philomela Wilkeson. Poor Miss Wilkeson was quick to discern the change in Tiffle's manner toward her. His calls were as frequent as ever, but were exclusively on her half-brother and had no side-bearing in her direction. He no longer lingered in the entry to converse with her, and flatly refused her invitation to take a glass of wine in the dining-room. Most ominous of signs, he did not press her hand in the least when he took it in his own. His voice was no longer winning, but harsh and neglectful. Indifference brooded in the heart of the monster, the worst of it was that he had been so cautious and non-committal in his declarations that she could not upbraid him for his perfidy with a cold calculation worthy of a demon he had made love in the pantomimic way and eschewed written or verbal communications of an erotic nature no jury could have mulcted him one cent for damages in a breach-of-promise case and he knew it while wesley tiffles slipped off miss wilkeson like a loose glove she might as well have tried to divest herself of her natural cuticle as to banish all thoughts of him miss wilkeson was accustomed to allude mysteriously to certain sentimental affairs of her youth in confidential moments her friends had been favored with shadowy reminiscences of a romantic past But truth compels us to state that miss wilkeson had never been the recipient of that delicate and awkward thing known as a proposal and that she had never been kissed by man or boy since she wore long dresses hence the magnified importance which she attached to that kiss which in a moment of reckless but cheap gallantry Wesley Tiffles on one fatal evening had impressed upon her withered hand. She loved the destroyer of her peace with the pent-up energies of forty years. End of Book 12, Chapter 1